Time now for Scoops with Danny Mac, the podcast on 101 ESPN. All right, away we go. Scoops with Danny Mack. We'll visit with Alex Ferrario. He was on the broadcast last night for Blues Hockey. Blues were shut out 4 nothing by the Hawks. That, that was exhibition, though. That wasn't the real thing. It was exhibition, Scotty, so don't give me that look. Basically a practice game. That's right. It's only practice. I'm talking about practice. Alan Iverson would be here. He'd be practice, man. Practice. So that was only practice, and uh, there was a real thing, though, for the Cardinals. They were shut out, too, 3 nothing. They've dropped three straight. The Cardinals are 2-3 and three after the winning uh, the first two of their season. It's an off day today, and then uh, tomorrow they will be in Milwaukee. Jack Flaherty is back on the mound, and he will go against the Brewers tomorrow. It's a day game tomorrow. You can see that game on Fox Sports Midwest. And our buddy Brad Thompson will be my partner. All right, where's the offense? That's where we need to go. Got to talk about the offense. The offense has not been good for the St. Louis Cardinals, certainly in that series against the uh, Minnesota Twins. And it needs to pick up. There's no other way to put it. It's got to be better. It wasn't in the uh, series against the Twins. Pitching, though, outside of Carlos Martinez, very good. And especially the bullpen, Mike Schilt after the game on his offense. It's a, it's a pretty professional group, you know, so um, we do trust them and we do. But this is also a group that works, has worked really hard and, um, you know, expects rightfully so and, and will get results. Um, but there is some frustration when, you know, you come in and, you don't know, put together um, as many consistent bats as you would like. And, you know, and the ones you do put together, you don't have a lot to show for it, um, you know, but. Uh, I don't feel like this group's going to necessarily press. I do know that they do care, and they're going to have a tendency when you care and prepare as well as this group does um, to, to really say, hey, let's go and, and press. I don't really necessarily feel that. Um, but, you know, it's a, it's a group that will show up in Milwaukee and continue to prepare, take the good at bats, and, and let the game come to us. Well, the Cardinals – did not have a runner in scoring position last night. Only one game all of last year in which they had at bats with a runner in scoring position, with no runners in scoring position. That was on May 7th against Philadelphia. No extra base hits for the Cardinals. Had at least one extra base hit in 108 straight games dating back to early July of last year. So the Cardinals uh, have dropped now seven of eight, seven of eight against the matchups against the Twins. They'll see them September 8th and 9th at Bush. The um, text line is open for you. Air Comfort Service text line. Danny Mack, why is Lane Thomas not in the lineup with the lefty Pachill? Actually, I didn't mind it last night. Bader, if you're going to give him a chance, I thought last night was the time to do it against the lefty. Um, That may change tomorrow because Bader in his career historically has been better against left-handed pitching. So if you're going to play him, I like him against a lefty more so than I do against a righty. So I understand the premise. Bader's been struggling offensively to start this season, but if you're going to play him, it's got to be against a lefty. I like him against lefties. I really do. Again, historically in his career, I like him against lefties. I get it though. I think you may have to do a little shakeup here. It's early. But it's 60 games. We're five games in. We'll see what Mike wants to do tomorrow. 
How about Daniel Ponce de Leon, Mike Schilt on his performance? He's, he's a guy who's not going to get hit a whole lot. You know, he's got such quality stuff, but it's just about harnessing it and being in the zone. And, and um, you know, clearly he's trying. He was able to do that more consistently um, in spring training and in summer camp and um, was not able to do that. I did feel like he got better as the game went, so that was encouraging. You know, we don't walk scores. Um, you know, the pitch to... Rosario and looking at it didn't look like, you know, looked like a pretty good pitch actually. Got, you know, left in a header down and in a little bit and dropped the head and, you know, got it out of there. But, um, you know, the stuff is, there's no question, the stuff plays. Righties, lefties, just a matter of the consistency in the zone that's going to allow him to, to continue to go deep in games and not, you know, have so many deep counts. Well, the thing was, it was, I, I thought, interesting how he went about that first inning. In the first, he had 31 pitches, 24 of which were fastballs. He had four curves, two changes, a cutter, 10 foul balls. Eight of those came on the fastball. He strikes out eight in three and two-thirds. You have to go back to Andy Bennis in 2001 to have that many strikeouts in three and two-thirds. There's only four guys in Cardinals history that have struck out that many guys in that many innings, three and two-thirds. So obviously, he's got effective stuff. And then after that first inning, he started to incorporate more the breaking pitch, the cutter. So I, I do think he's earned another start. So the Cardinals lose it 3 nothing. I do think Daniel stays in the rotation. Um, Mike Schilt on not overreacting to the losses and, and really trying to give this lineup a chance to get things going. You know, the thing about it is you don't want to overreact. And, and you know, this is an offense that, you know, a couple games ago, you know, this group was touting, rightfully so, as being a really, and, you know, towards the end of our camp, you know, really explosive, dynamic offense. And um, it's a very capable group. Uh, you know, clearly the last couple of days, not as not as consistent as we would like. Um, the approach was there. We just weren't able to execute as much as, as we as we care for. But a lot of confidence in this group, and um, I don't expect any wholesale changes. So no wholesale changes yet. And I use the word yet. We'll see. Now, the bright spot, as I mentioned in the crossover, though, has to be what's going on with the bullpen. So the starting pitching, last three, you had Hudson, Martinez, Ponce de Leon, 12 earned, five home runs, 11 and two-thirds. That's an ERA over nine. The bullpen, though, brilliant. And that is the best way to describe it. They were brilliant. I mean, brilliant. But can they maintain that brilliance? You know, but the bullpen, gosh darn, what a great job. You know, another fantastic job. Like I said, Webby, a little bleeder in there on Avila. But uh, you're talking about another four and a third. So nine innings out of the bullpen the last two nights, scoreless against a, um, you know, very potent offensive club. So there are some bright spots there for sure. Obviously, Whitley was good. Uh, Webby came in, got his job done. Miller, a couple ground ball singles. Helsley picked him up. Um, you know, it was it was, it was um, a lot of positives. Just not enough offense to be able to do anything to be able to shake hands or get some air high fives. So air high fives. You want to see those? Maybe some foot fives. Whatever. Socially distanced celebration. I don't care, but let's see some offense. Let's see better starting pitching. And with that starting pitching, how did Daniel Ponce de Leon feel after that start? You know, kind of. Kind of the same preparation. I was able to throw the pen, a pen on, on the off day that we had earlier. Same kind of 
deal in the bullpen I had today. Like, action was good on all the pitches, just a bit more wild than I had been all spring. Because if I compare myself to how I was pitching all spring, this is easily the wildest I've been fastball command-wise. Well, it, it was. And that's why I think Yachty did a good job after that first inning. We talked about it. The 30 or 31 pitches, whatever it was, 24 fastballs. He started then to change it up, saw more of the cutter, saw more of the breaking ball, and then he had more success. So got away from the fastball a little bit. Jim Edmonds mentioned that too. Sometimes you get away from that fastball and it slows you up. You get more into a groove. You get more into mechanics, focused on mechanics, and he was better as he went. So I would assume he gets another start. Um, let's talk a little bit about what's going on with Joe Kelly. Joe Kelly gets an eight-game suspension. In a normal season, that would be 22. We talked about it in the crossover, throws over Bregman. Bregman goes to first base, throws over two or three times, makes him dive, strikes out uh, Correa, jaws at him, benches clear. Buster only on if Rob Manfred, the commissioner of baseball, is sending a message by suspending Kelly this long. Within the Dodgers organization, there's absolute outrage and shock over this decision. Because an eight-game suspension in a 60-game season is the equivalent of a 21-game suspension. Within the Dodgers organization, there's a feeling of, look, he didn't hit Bregman. He actually, in their eyes, didn't even come close to hitting him. And they felt like Dusty Baker was screaming at uh, Kelly in that inning from the Houston dugout. They were absolutely surprised by the length of the suspension, especially because Kelly is a reliever. Now, I think from Major League Baseball's perspective, Rob Manfred said during the wintertime in so many words that he was not going to allow open season to be on the Houston Astros. Back in 2017, when all the sign ceiling stuff happened, I think we can look back and criticize Rob Manfred for not uh, drawing a line in the sand and trying to alter the behavior with one big penalty at that time against the Red Sox or the Yankees. Well, in this case, it seems that's what he's trying to do alter the behavior, and stop teams from throwing at the Houston Astros. It's too late. He just hit it on the head. Where was the punishment for the Astros, the Red Sox? He didn't do it then. Now you're going to do it with Joe Kelly? Come on. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> that uh, you maybe are trying to get back into things. Uh, you've been living in your basement and all of a sudden, uh, you know, baseball just appeared on your television and hockey appeared on your television and you, you know, you're listening to radio last night and all of a sudden Alex Ferrario popped up and doing intermissions and pregame and postgame and you're like, okay, what the hell's going on? So let's get you caught up on what's happening. Alex, good to see you. You just described me to a T, Dan, living <laughs> in my basement still, not knowing what the hell's going on. That was four months for you. That's a lot of college kids, too. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. Uh, it's okay. So it was great, though. Hockey was back last night, wasn't it? Yeah, it was, Dan, and there was a certain adrenaline, I guess, that I had going into that, which I'm sure you had as well, having baseball back. And it set in, you know, a couple nights ago, knowing that there was going to be hockey. When you saw those guys make it to the bubble, I think that's where it really hit in. Like, hey, there's going to be hockey. But when they took the ice, you know, it was just great to see the sport back, the success that it's gone through from the negotiations, which went so well to getting the CBA to announcing the return to play protocol. And then, of course, getting them on the ice. Now, the game, the product, maybe not so much, but... As I said on the post game last night, this is an exhibition, and I think that's the one thing people need to remember. It's a tune-up game. Um, I'm not saying that they weren't bought into it, but 
it's a it's a warm-up game for these guys who haven't played in four months. So it was great to see it back. Unfortunately, the product wasn't uh, the excitement that you want, but I think that excitement will be there on Sunday. And why was the game and the product not good? I just think it was because it was that first time really having competition. And look, Petrangelo and Barubi said it last night. Like It's not an easy thing to do when you're just in training camp and practice to be ready for game action defensively and I think that was the biggest flaw last time for these guys was defensively they were just really loose there was a lot of um, turnovers in their own zone there was a lot of skating east to west which is not the way that the Blues play I think the fact that they haven't played in four months that you did two weeks of training camp against your own teammates which you can do that but it's not actually that competition that you're going up against and then getting onto an ice that you haven't done for four months. So I think all of that kind of combined together, mixed in for a product that wasn't as ready as what you would expect from the Blues. Because look, the Blackhawks weren't that great either. They had four goals, but those were four goals that were scored right in front of the net, which the Blues defensively usually don't let happen. So you're going to see that in some exhibition games. Some exhibition games are going to have five goals like Tampa Bay, but Overall, it's tune-up for a lot of these teams, and once you hit that qualifying round or round robin, that's where I think things will really start to amp up. So it looked like a typical then preseason game. Are are you seeing that, too, across the board with all the teams, not just the Blues and the Hawks last night? Yeah, you really are. There were a couple, you know, Tampa Bay yesterday when they played against Florida had five goals, and then they shut out the Florida Panthers. That looked like a training camp game for for Florida. Tampa looked like they were mid-season form, but they've been skating a lot longer than some other teams. They've had a majority of their roster in Tampa so that when they were able to return to protocol for phase two, they were out there skating. Colorado even, they win beat Minnesota yesterday 3-2. to two. Colorado looked good, but they looked fast. Defensively, they didn't look as sound as what you're used to. So I think defensively is going to be the biggest thing to really amp up for most of these teams. It's kind of like what we talk in baseball, Dan, of how the pitchers are ahead of the, the hitters. I think the forwards and the goaltenders are going to be ahead of the defensemen because the defensemen can't really prep for game action of guys coming into the zone or guys making those passes back to back or guys sneaking behind you. That's four months off of not being able to be ready for that aspect of your game. The players specifically for the blues, they were close last night to each other. The passes weren't ice to ice pass passes. So I think that's why it looked more like a training camp preseason game with the turnovers, with just the lack of chemistry on the ice And I don't know if that gets picked up after game one. I don't know if that's going to take four games for some of these teams. I think of the qualifying rounds, teams are going to be desperate because they know they're playing for their playoff lives. For the Blues, the Golden Knights, the Stars, the Avalanche, they know they're in the playoffs. It's just a matter of making sure that you're up to the level that you want to be once the playoffs start. How did Tarasenko look? I thought he looked great. I think if there was one positive from that game last night, it was number 91. He led the team in shots on goal, which he had four of them. He led the team in shot attempts, which he had six. One was blocked, one missed the net. But the part that sticks out to me was how he was on the ice. He was going into the net. He was going into the crease, which after two shoulder surgeries, a lot of guys would be hesitant with that. You don't want to pop that bad boy out again. He wasn't doing that. He was going into it. He was going into the corners with his puck play defensively was the area that I was curious of how he looked. He was a minus one last night, but he did back check. And I think that's the biggest thing for Vladdy. When he plays the full aspect of his hockey game, kind of like what Alex Ovechkin does now, 
that's where he's really effective. So in my eyes, Tarasenko was up to the level that he needed to be. It was just a matter of a hungriness of getting on the ice and taking those shots, which is going to benefit the Blues going into these round-robin games. 314 on the text line, it says, Kerber pointed out last night that Braden Shen, after the game, was on the bench with a look of, okay, finally that's over, let's get to real work. Yep, and I think that's exactly how the people... Craig Berube said it last night afterwards in a Zoom conference. He said, I promise you they will be ready for game action. Meaning... This was an exhibition game, and you never want to sit there and say that. I mean, these are professional players, right? Like, they're into this game no matter what. But think about it, Dan. Four months of no hockey, two weeks of training, or three weeks of training camp, really, if you think of that first week of guys just being out there, you know better than than anybody because you covered the team a long time. Preseason... After two games, those guys are done. Like they're like, okay, these are these are pointless. That's why you don't see those starters that much in preseason games because they're ready to go. And I think that's what this has been. Three weeks of training camp skating around is like, okay, now we got to get to the bubble. Now you got to be tested. Now you got to quarantine in your room for a little bit. Now we play a hockey game. Oh, but this isn't really a hockey game. This is just a warm up. So I think in the eyes of a Braden Shen, this was a okay, I see where our issues are. Because you can't pick those issues out when you're training camps with your own teammates. You don't know what you look like with turnovers in your own zone or with shots that you're whiffing on in the offensive zone or the power play not looking good. You don't know what that looks like. Now you do because you just saw a team that you swept in the regular season pretty much cream you on the ice four to nothing. So I think that's that look of Braden Shen saying, okay, boys, now we're ready to go because now we got three round robin games to warm up for this playoff. Next game for the Blues will be on Sunday, and that counts for real. Yeah, that's the round robin. So there's three round robins. There's four teams, obviously. You got the Blues, the Avalanche, the Dallas Stars, and the Vegas Golden Knights. Those were the top four teams in the West. Same in the East. Those top four will do round robin where they'll play each other once. So the Blues have three games, and it starts Colorado on Sunday. Thursday's the Vegas Golden Knights. Then the Sunday after, the 9th of August, will be Dallas. And then those will be the three games that determine what position you're playing once the playoffs start. So whether you'll be taking on the number one role, two, three, or four, that's going to be your opponent. I'm watching right now NBC Sportsnet. It is live hockey, uh, Washington leading Carolina. And for people maybe that are just getting caught up, so where are they playing? Where are the hub cities? And let's kind of talk about what's happening right now with the NHL and the testing and the protocols and what the players are doing. Alex Ferrario is part of the Blues broadcast, is uh, my guest in studio. So let's let's talk about what's happening. We're watching live hockey on a... What is today? Thursday morning. Mm -hmm. Um, So what's going on right now with the NHL? So this is like March Madness hockey right now, Dan. I mean, you got the Eastern Conference teams in the Toronto market. They're in their hub city in Toronto, the bubble city. And then, of course, the Western Conference teams like the Blues played last night are playing in Edmonton Um, from 11 a.m. local time until about 11.30 at night local time, there's hockey. It's nonstop hockey. And a lot of that right now is because you have 24 teams playing exhibition games. Nobody really has started round robin until Saturday. So, these so Saturday are, it starts for real. Saturday for both sides it starts for real in round robin. So this is just a matter, I mean, you can see a guy right now in Washington, a guy who you probably, know, many people haven't heard of. He's an AHL goaltender. Right. This is tune-up game for a lot of these guys just to get in action. Um, but They're playing in each of these hub cities, the bubble cities. Now, in in terms of the testing, from what I understand, and we talked with um, with Ashley Weiss on on Tuesday night on our hockey show, and she's for the Blues out there covering the team. 
The testing was really in the beginning where they were testing these guys kind of on a consistent basis to make sure. And remember, the NHL announced going into the bubble cities that there were zero positive tests. So I think you had that initial testing for a lot of the employees that were around, the teammates, the staff, making sure that everything was good. And I would imagine that's going to go on for about a week or so. And then they're going to be in this bubble. And I mean, this bubble has, has wired fences around the stadium so that when buses come in, you're let in by an employee who's being tested to this stadium, to this bubble city where they have hotels around in this fence so that the players feel like they're safe. And that's what this is set up as in Toronto and Edmonton. You got four it's different incredible. I know you got four different hotels in Edmonton specifically, Dan. They did it the right way. You got four different hotels for all of these teams where I think you got like two or three teams in each hotel. But in Edmonton, those hotels are connected to the stadium. So there's an opportunity for these guys that don't even have to really be out in the public. Now, it's a bubble city, so there's not really much of an issue, but they can walk to the Rogers Arena in Edmonton and then walk back to their hotel underground, which is an incredible setup. They have restaurants that are set up specifically for players, and Curbs was talking about this last night. They have windows for teams at a restaurant. So the gold, the Colorado Avalanche, you're set up for a 6 o'clock dinner at this place, but you got to be out at 7.30 because the Blues are coming in for their dinner. They have this set up in the perfect form. In about two weeks, they're going to allow these guys to go out to golf courses to get out and kind of walk around in Edmonton. But they got player lounges. They got video games set up, ping pong, buffets, kind of just areas where these players can sit and chill. So they've done this bubble the right way. It's just a matter for these players getting acclimated to it and being there for what could be three months. So um, they're not allowed, obviously, outside the fence? Without authorization from somebody in charge. So whether that's the team authorization or the NHL authorization, you can't go outside of the fence. And a lot of those guys who will be going out on those golf things that I talked about, you're going on the team bus. So the team buses is basically your way in and out or that lanyard. But from what I understand, and they haven't gone too deep into this, but you have to have authorization to leave the bubble in Edmonton and Toronto for these players. When I was watching the game, um, my concern was we're in the summer months. Now, understand it's in Toronto and Edmonton, and it's not the 95 degrees right. in St. Louis or you know, go to your southern cities or whatever and trying to play hockey. Right. And and the average fan maybe not understands this, but it, it, the the weather can really affect the ice. How is the ice holding up? When And how many games can you play in a day? Four? Five? So I think they can play five in each conference on the ice in that arena. So when the ice, is it getting beat up? And how are they, how's the ice holding up? That's a great question, Dan. And Jamie Rivers and I talked about this on Monday because we know just after one game on the ice in conditions in June, yeah. when you're playing the Stanley Cup, they can get pretty poor. Now add in, you got five different teams that are going out there, and they're, they only have 66 minutes to clean up the ice before you could go back out there. That's not a lot of time to make sure that you can Zamboni it, you can chip it in. What Rivers was telling me was what they do is they'll add some to it overnight so that it stays in that bright thickness so it doesn't melt through. They don't have that opportunity when you got 66 minutes in between. You can do stuff overnight, but, I mean, these guys are taking the ice at 10 in the morning the next day to kind of start playing, so... I'm really intrigued by how this ice is going yeah. to hold up once you get into this round robin. And even Craig Berube talked about it last night, and I think Ryan O'Reilly was asked as well, you know, what did you think of the ice conditions? Players are going to give you the cliche answer of that. Oh, that had nothing to do with it. It was just us. 
But I would imagine when you get to that that sogginess with the ice where it's used too much and it's not kept in good condition in between games, that's where you're going to start to see some of those turnovers because yep. you have those grooves in the ice where you're trying to move it and it bounces and it goes backwards. So I think once you get into the round robin, when you have all 24 teams playing at once, that's where it's going to be maybe somewhat of a factor in these games. I don't know if it's going to make that big of a difference, but I think it's going to be a factor for some teams. Okay, I'm bouncing around here. What about practice facilities? So you've got all these teams, and they're playing on you know one facility to play the games, mm-hmm. but these guys, they practice every day. There's a morning skate. They they you know They're yep. creatures of habit, so where do they go practice? And they're not practicing on the rink that they're playing on. They're exactly. practicing outside. So kind of think of what St. Louis has set up. You have Enterprise Center where they play, and then you got Centene where they practice. That's how it is in Edmonton. They have a practice facility that all the teams will be at, and they have a staff there. So that's outside the fence, though. It's outside the fence. So the only way they get there is they're on the buses, and it takes them to the practice facility. They have a staff at the practice facility that's cleaning everything afterwards, that's going through the locker rooms, cleaning it, cleaning the towels. So they're maintaining that when you're having all of these teams going through. Now, granted, I don't know if you're going to have all 24 teams practicing there, or I guess it would be, what, uh, the 12 teams for each conference practicing there, because you do have some game days where they're not going to be skating like yesterday the blues didn't skate they had the game at 5 30 local time so they're just going to go through video sessions in the morning so there are circumstances where you'll see you know maybe five or six teams skating there because they don't have any games but they're going outside of the bubble to go to this practice facility they practice they load the bus they go back into the bubble and then if i'm not mistaken they're tested once they come back into that bubble, once you go to that practice facility. Testing results, are they immediate, or is it the 36, 48 hours? Do we know? It, I don't th- I'm don't. i not 100% on that, but it sounds like it's the 36 to 48 hours. I don't know if it's the, the uh, right-away okay. testing uh, protocol, because even with Phase 3, I mean, you had that training camp for as yeah. long as you did, and we didn't find out until those guys made it into the bubble. So I would imagine you'll probably get a weekly update from the NHL of the testing and what there, if there's any positive tests or anything like that but from what i'm understanding it's not the immediate reaction of what's going on the people inside the fence so the people you're you're providing great information alex great job so um the people inside the fence so the the workers in the hotels and the restaurants and that kind of thing Mm -hmm. are they being paid to stay inside the hotels they aren't so from what i'm understanding they're going home after they Ooh. work that day. Okay. But what it is is when if they're a part of this, you come back the next day, you're being tested. Okay. So maybe there is some immediate I'll have to look into that a little bit more to find out if they're getting that results back. But those employees, so the hotel employees, the restaurant employees, the staff, they're going home at the end of the day and then they're coming back into the bubble the next day, but they're being tested. And I think they're having that set up to where they're making sure that before these people re enter the bubble that their safety and following the precautions so that the players feel safe. This is where, um, like, I'm fired up. Sports is back, right? Yeah. Everybody is. Um, so the Stanley Cup then would be awarded by the latest October 3rd, right? Correct, yeah. Okay. So we have then an off season that would take us to early December on paper, like best mm-hmm. case scenario. Yeah. Well, we we could then, by that time, still have no therapeutics, no vaccine. Right. So what's next then? Like, like, what do we do? Are we going to do this again in a bubble? Or are we going to play in home cities? What What's the NH, What's the plan for the NHL? I, I know I'm getting ahead of myself. No, yeah, I want to see them get through this and mm-hmm. award a Stanley Cup and 
that that would happen. And but then, what do you do after that? Well, it's the right question because when you think about it, we have sports, but nobody wants to go back to life without sports. And you complete it, then the question is, what's next? Yeah, do we get this back, or do we have to wait until the next summer to where you can go into it? From what I'm understanding, and from what some people have said that I've talked to. They're going to try and keep this bubble life set up just, just in, in case. case. Okay. Now, I think the, the NHL is planning on returning middle to end of December, if not January, and playing an 82-game schedule. Like, they're planning on doing a full season next year. That's what this return-to-play protocol was for so that they can start back up. It's going to be a short offseason. But what I think is if they don't feel comfortable back in their own cities, and honestly, I'm curious if Major League Baseball is a test for NHL and NBA of looking at it. For sure. They're all watching each other. Everyone's watching and saying, okay, well, if these guys are able to make it through a season, then maybe we could play in an empty stadium and have somewhat of a bubble life in St. Louis. But from what I'm understanding, Edmonton and Toronto are keeping their bubble life set up. But the also conversation that I've heard is you could see bubbles in divisions. So you could see a central division bubble where you only have five teams and you're traveling to that city. Like, let's just say hypothetically, you're St. Louis. Yeah, you're putting Minnesota, Colorado, Dallas, um, Chicago Chicago in St. Louis, and they're going to play their season there. Now, maybe it's a shortened season if they're not able to play an 82-game schedule, but they're talking bubble life as a real possibility to come back. But the goal for the NHL, from what I'm understanding, is an 82-game schedule back in their own stadiums with or without fans and hopefully get to the point where you can have some fans in there. I definitely could see the Winter Classic being the kickoff to yep. the season. I, I agree. And we, the Blues we, against Minnesota. And we talked about this uh, on Tuesday night as well. This would That would be the perfect way for the NHL to kick off their next season. Oh, man with a big winter classic because you're not going to have the all-star game. You're not going to have the all-star break in an expedited season. And if you are doing bubble cities, you kick it off with two central division teams in a winter classic game. Now the question is, well, what's that going to look like with no fans? Who cares? I mean, we're getting to the point now where we have sports. You want fans back, but sports are the more important thing right now for people to have some type of normalcy in their life. So I think that would be perfect. Now the challenge will be starting on January 1st, putting an 82-game format into a condensed schedule because basically you're going to go January to October again. So you're going to try and condense it all to where you can get to the playoffs in June, July and play through October. Great information. Uh, I'll wrap it up with this. For fans that were curious that tuned into the game, they're driving home from work and they're saying, okay, I'm listening to the broadcast. I'm hearing our guys uh, on 101. Um, How are they doing it? So how were you guys doing it last night? So so we have the studio set up at Centene and everyone here at 101 ESPN, John Kioski, Tommy Matter, and have done a phenomenal job setting up Curbs, Joey, and I with two 75-inch monitors, kind of like what you guys have at Fox Sports. Midwest, but they're broadcasting from our 101 ESPN studios at Centene. Curbs and Joey are. I was here last night in the studio. Uh, just that first game back, you kind of want to get that pre and post game uh, formula down. But I'm going to be with those two in the Centene studios moving forward. So broadcasting from there, the NHL has the monitor set up. So basically the live feed that people are seeing on NBC Sports, that's what Curbs and Joey have from their studio to where they can broadcast the game as close to it as possible. And I think their feed has that five-second delay in case of foul language on the NHL. But other than that, they're about to get over that stuff. Well, look, Dusty Baker's already broken that bombshell for us, right? Like a few others and a few others. But so they have that broadcast there. And other than that, you know, there's still some kinks to be worked out because Joey was talking last night uh, before one of the goals was scored. 
he heard the buzzer in his ear from Edmonton. <laughs> so he knew the goal was coming before it happened. So you're going to see kinks like that. But I think that's the I think that's the fun side of these broadcasts to have those mishaps because that's the world we're living in right now. Like 2020 is bubble life to where we're broadcasting this way. So uh, it was really well, though. It was well put through. We do an hour pregame our post game and then the broadcast with curbs and Joey phenomenal job. Seriously. Yeah. Great job. Danny. Thank you very much. It's always great to pop on with you. Alex Ferrario, 101 ESPN. More of what you want to hear scoops with Danny Mac in podcast form on 101 ESPN. Cross it over with ribs and BK in just a moment. Budweiser and 101 ESPN have teamed up for a one of a kind giveaway. We're giving away a custom Budweiser branded John Deere riding lawnmower. Find the contest now on your 101 mobile app and use the promo code BUD to get entered. Must be 21 or older to enter. See the full contest rules and more info now on your 101 ESPN mobile app and go online at 101 ESPN. Dot com. So we're going to cross it over in just a moment. That was some great stuff, wasn't it? With uh, Alex Ferrario kind of going through what the bubble may look like. Maybe you have the kickoff to the season. Well, you may have it in December for hockey. You don't know. That would be ideal. That would be ideal to have fans in the stands, obviously, and then get in the full season. And then if you don't, if you could get it then in January, kick it off with the Winter Classic. But the idea would be fans in the stands, God, we hope so. Have a normal spring training, have normal baseball, ribs, getting set, wiping down things. He's laughing. I'm ready to go, buddy. I didn't know you were bringing me in right now. I'll do it here. All right, let's do this. We'll take a break and then coming up, uh, we'll cross it over ribs at BK next. More of what you want to hear. Scoops with Danny Mac in podcast form on 101 ESPN. I'm going to try not to be nervous during the crossover with Rivs and BK. Well, Rivs at least. You told me not to be nervous. Don't be nervous. I, I'm not. Uh, it's one of my first times ever behind the mic. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you crack me up. I said, look at uh, look it up at NBC Sportsnet, and uh, there's hockey on from 11 a.m. until midnight just about every night. So this is like oh, Christmas morning for you. It's incredible. You just love it. You told your wife you got to have every TV on the on on hockey. No, what I do is I purposely go around the house yeah. and turn on every TV to a hockey game, and because she she enjoys hockey, but listen, she's been with me for twenty two years now. Right, she's had her hockey fix. fix. Right, and so when the Blues are on, it's easy, it's tolerable. Okay, it's the Blues, I get it. But I now I'm putting on every game. Yeah, so it's like I call it the Hockey Olympics. I go upstairs, turn on hockey. She goes upstairs, turns off hockey. We're actually getting in our steps that way. Just I got kind of you. playing cat and mouse. Okay. House. Yes. I've been watching uh, some of the games. I think it, it looks like exhibition hockey as I'm watching. I, I, I'm assuming it's going to change here in about a week. Yeah, I think what you're seeing is some teams are exhibitions. Some teams look like they've been together a little longer. Yeah. And there's a gap in the performances. And you saw that yesterday with Tampa and Florida. I believe you saw it yesterday with the Blackhawks and the Blues. And, you know, you see it from time to time. Even Colorado was fast, but they were sloppy. And it wasn't like you will see. It's not crisp. Yeah, yet. it's not crisp. And there's a lot of things, and we're going to get into that today. There's a lot of things that I've noticed throughout these games for all the teams, specifically the Blues, but also, you know, what are they dealing with playing all the games on two rinks, one in the East, one in the West? How much is that going to come into play as we get deeper and deeper here? Ice is going to get literally chippy, isn't it? it 
the ice would have you have to keep it at a certain thickness. And what happens is when you have this many games in a row like that, you keep adding water, adding water. You're not able to shave it down to keep it at its regular thickness. So in turn, it gets thicker and thicker. So the top layers start to melt and create slush. So it's not ideal. What do you got coming up? Uh, we've got Mark Saxon today, big Saxy with yeah. us. I can't wait to talk to him. And we got uh, Joey Vitale, big Joey. He's always a lot of fun. So we'll see what uh, he saw last night and what he thought of his first broadcast from the E&B Granite Studios over at Centene Community Ice Center. Ribs BK next on 101 ESPN. You have been listening to the TV voice of the St. Louis Cardinals, Scoops with Danny Mac on 101 ESPN.